Turn with me again to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I appreciate that the, the scriptures are at times on the wall behind me, and but I would uh, advise you to open your own Bible and read from your own Bible, follow in your own Bible. And I want to look a bit more, it'd be a bit more maybe studious, but simple as I can this morning. Um, we want to speak again, part two, on the old, old covenant sympathy and new covenant empathy. Old covenant sympathy and new covenant empathy. And if you remember last week, we looked at how, you know, because we're mentioning sympathy and empathy, old and new, it doesn't mean that God has changed and there's two gods, for there's only one God. But the idea is that God who knows us, knows all about us, knows everything about us, when he became flesh, he entered in with us. And that is empathy. To walk in another person's shoes, as it were. In other words, Jesus felt pain like you did. Like you do. He felt the shame of the scoffers like you would. He knows what it's like to be thirsty and to be hungry, to be tired physically. Yet he's almighty God, fountains of living water. Yet he's the bread of life. Gives life unto the world, yet he's eternal in his being. And yet he became man that you and I, when we go through what we go through, he could empathize with us. So as God, he knows me, he knows you. But as man, he understands me and he understands you. In the sense that he knows what it's like to to feel the frailty of our flesh. So let's look this morning at Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. But let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Remember we started with verse 14. Seeing then draws us to look at something. Draws us to see somewhere which is the Lord Jesus who is our great high priest who left this earth after his resurrection and ascended through the heavens and is now in heaven itself. And there he makes intercession for us. He's called our advocate. He's called our great high priest. He makes intercession for us. Now I'll not go back over last week because there was too much there. You can download or get a CD if you want to. But I want to look at this because how seeing then and verse 16 goes to let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. In other words, let us come is An invitation. An invitation to every man and woman that hears the words, that reads the scripture, let us, let us come. And as I said last week, it's a a declaration of an invitation 
without stipulation. In other words, it's declared, it's spoken, you're invited as you would be to a wedding or so forth. And the invitation is, God wants you to come to him more than you want to go to him. How many of us, to be honest, in sincerity of our own heart, within ourselves know that God calls us at times into the place of prayer, but the flesh would rather languish on the settee, the sofa. Or God calls us into the place of prayer, but many of us would rather sit facing the TV. Or God calls us to come fellowship with him and read his word, study his word, but we'd rather read a magazine or a newspaper and a promise from a promise box. God wants to fellowship with you now. God wants to fellowship with you this morning. God wants to fellowship you with you wherever you are. All the time. He's always got his eye upon you. Even when you're unconscious of him looking at you, he's all the time watching and waiting for you. Every second, of every moment, of every hour, of every day, he's waiting on you. He's waiting for you to come. He wants you to fellowship with him. And this invitation has come to me. I created you to fellowship with me. I created you to commune with me. I created you that you would worship me. And when you worship me, I'll bless you. And you'll sense me, my presence. So God's invitation to us all is come. And I ask you again this morning, as I asked last week, when we were singing, were we just singing? Or did we come to the throne of grace? When we're praying, do we just utter a few words for the sake of religiosity or because it makes us feel better, a conscience easier, there you are of prayer, or do we enter the throne of grace? Here's something for you. It's not a condemnation. It's, an, it, it's a question for you to answer in yourself as the Spirit speaks to you this morning. Answer honestly as the Holy Ghost is speaking to you. Do you study his word? I'm not talking about hours and hours and days like I would for messages. And good if you do that. I'm talking about do you go in to read And find out what that means. Find out and pray before it and say, Lord, what are you telling me? Or do we just read God's word and say, there's a wee verse and I'll pick it. Um, Let us therefore come boldly onto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need and step back out of it again because that's our promise for today. Or do we say, Lord, I'm coming to you. Because you have invited me. I'm coming into your presence because I'm grateful that I can. I'm coming into your presence because I feel, sense, know your spirit is drawing me. I'm coming into your presence.
because I love you. I love you, Lord. I slept about one and a half hours last night. I couldn't sleep. And I just talked to the Lord the whole night long. Sometimes I felt myself dozing and I jump up again. My brain won't shut off. I just start talking to him again. People say, you know, when you can't sleep, you count sheep. And then a man told me one time, when you can't sleep, talk to the shepherd. He's usually up all night. But the more I talk to the shepherd, the more excited I get. The more excited I get about him. The more I talk to him, the more I love him. The more I talk to him, the more I want to be in his presence. The more I talk to him, the closer I get to him. And the closer I get to him, the more I see my inabilities. And I see my infirmities. And I see my weaknesses. And I see my own sin. But the closer I get to him and the more I see that, the more I realize his grace in my life. I realize his love for me. And I realize how much I depend on him, which is everything. You see, the idea here is that you come boldly to the throne of grace. Come with an assurance in your heart. And the closer you get to him, Spots will start to show on the fig leaf work life of what you try to do to please him. I want to say something. Please don't get me wrong here. There is nothing you can do. I'm going to say it again. There is nothing you can do to make him love you more. There is nothing you can do to make him love you less. But there's ways in our life where we can live to please him more. Understand this morning, no matter how you feel, no matter what you have went through this week or month or whatever, no matter what's going through your mind and heart and turmoil in your family, your home or whatever, in your job, he loves you. He loves you. That will never change. When he sets his love upon us, he does not lift it again. He doesn't love us one moment and then unlove us the next. God has a mind towards you from before the foundation of the world. We're told in the book of Deuteronomy, memory served me right, chapter 7, verse 7. And he set his love upon Israel. 
And that idea is he placed it there and he will not lift it off us. He set his love upon you in Christ, giving you to his son from before the foundation of the world. He moved heaven and earth. Did you hear me, brother, sister? He moved heaven and earth. He gave heaven's best that you would be saved. There's nothing else God can do for you, for your salvation. You're saved. And there's nothing else you could do for your salvation because God has done it all. It's as simple as that. And his love for you has never changed, can never change, and will never change. It's called an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee, he says. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And that everlasting love is because we are found now in Christ. And he loves his son. And he loves him eternally. When you and I are coming to the throne of grace, we're coming with all our infirmities. We're going to look at this. Tony won't take my time. Uh, last week we, we just started on it. This week we're going a little further. And I said if it takes one, two or ten weeks, I want, to, I want to just put this over. I feel that the Lord laid this heavy on my heart when we're going through a hard time. And this is where I've been living every day. I almost stand, even this morning in my study before I came out to church, standing in my study and I'd read over the word and I just studied a little this morning before I came around here for about 10.30. And I was studying for a while this morning and I thought, Lord, I just want to praise you and I want to pray. And I literally, physically stood up in my study and took one step forward as if I was standing into his presence. Didn't need to do that. But I just did it and it says, Lord, I'm standing before your throne of grace. And I worshipped him. You see, regardless of how you feel this morning, there's a throne of grace. Regardless of what you're going through this morning, there's a throne of grace. Regardless of what has gone on in your life this morning, there's a throne of grace. You know, the Lord says, come, it's a declaration with an invitation, without stipulation. In other words, without stipulation, stipulation means there are no uh, demands made on you here. There's no conditions made on you. It's not get yourself right and come to me. It's not strengthen yourself and come to me. It's not, you know, buck up your ideas and come on to me. The heavens are open wide in Christ for you. Heaven is open wide for you this morning, brother, sister in the Lord. Heaven is open wide for you. And the heaven that is open wide, God says, come to my throne of grace. Come boldly. You'll find 
that you'll obtain mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. Therein is our strength this morning. Because at the throne of grace, there is a man. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, let us therefore come this invitation. I read some scriptures, I save us reading through them, it would take too long, and you can, uh, you can look at them if you want to jot them down and look at them when you go home. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, we have the Lord walking around the Sea of Galilee, and we all know it, and he sees the fishermen. Peter, Andrew, then James and John, you, you can read the different, uh, the different Gospels on it. But in Matthew chapter 4, and in verse 19, the Lord says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'll bring you in a process of understanding. Follow me and I will make you. Now see the idea to follow here. It means walk the same path I walk. Trod the same road that I trod. It gives the idea of following and not giving up. Gives the idea of constantly following, constantly coming, constantly walking. You're constantly going. Maybe the, 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 these fishermen were tired. Maybe they were weary. Maybe they were frightened. Maybe they were going through things. But nevertheless, they were to follow the Lord in spite of how they felt and what they were going through, he says, keep on following me. Keep on coming on. Keep on going on. Keep on following me. Many of us do that and then draw back. Follow and then we draw back. We follow and then we draw back. And we make our declarations of, Lord, we're going to follow you this time and we're going to be faithful this time and we're not going to draw back this time and we're going to go on in God this time and I'm going to be out at my meetings this time and I'm just going to be in the place of prayer this time I'm going to study your word this time I'm going to love you every day this time and we draw back. We draw back. Have you drawn back this morning? Have you drawn back over a period of time from him? I have good news for you. This morning the word for you is, come to me. There's room at the throne of grace. Come to me. It means keep on following. In Matthew 8 and 22, a scribe comes to him and the Lord tells him, Jesus says unto him two words, follow me. It's the same thing. I know how to do big fancy letters and I know how to write the law. And I, don't know, I know how to write in, in, in the, the sacred texts. And I know how to read them. And that's great. That's good. That's fine. But do you know Christ? That's good. Look, I can theologize with anybody. I, could, I, I like the old time to have a bit of a, a, a debate on theology to see where it goes. That's okay. But I can tell you one thing. There's nothing like following him. The idea is there are many conveyor belt preachers who are pumped out as a job and there are others who are in ministry following Christ. There are others following him. 
And there are Christians the same. They could cross the T and dot the I. It's like the laws of of the Medes and the Persians cannot be altered. The letter kills them and they won't let the Spirit give them life. The life of the Word causing them to follow Him. So I ask you this morning, are you pursuing after Him, walking His way? Here's another one for you. Matthew 9 and 9. He says to Matthew, Levi is called, sitting at the receipt of custom, this hated tax collector. He calls him, follow me. The idea is he comes up and he walks up to Matthew's desk or Levi's desk as he's called and he orders a command. He says, you, follow me. That's where it reads in the Greek. And walk the path I walk. Now hold on, Jesus. Surely, surely, Jesus, you would not want somebody like him to be saved. Surely, Jesus, you wouldn't even like a man like that. Surely, Jesus, you would have no fellowship with a man like that. Here's what the Lord says to every sinner. Here's what the Lord says to everyone who are still living in sin. Everyone who have not yet come to him. In spite of the depths of their life, Says you, put down the pen of the world. Put away the parchment, the paperwork of the world. Put it away, I have a new life for you. Put it away and follow me. Put it away and walk the road I walk and walk the path with me. Gives the idea that to walk alongside one with another. Not behind even. That's not the idea of follow. That means as he steps, you step every step of the way. Walk side by side. That's the idea of it. You can check it. Look it up. Walk side by side with me like Adam walked with him in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden and fellowship with him and talked one to another. He says, I want to have communion with you as I did with Adam but was lost in the garden. And he says, come walk and follow me. So someone may be listening, someone here, Christ is speaking to your heart and says, look, come, it's time. Walk with me. Follow me. In John 1, 43, he calls Philip in Galilee and says, follow me. It's the same word. And he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me in John 10 and verse 27. You know, it wasn't only in the New Testament that God wanted his people to follow him. It wasn't only in the New Testament there was a call to righteousness. In Genesis chapter 6 we have Noah's Flood as it's known, or God's deluge on the earth. And the violence filled the earth, and God says there's going to be a flood. And in chapter 7 and verse 1, God is in the ark. The ark has been built. The outpouring of the waters are about to happen. And God is in the ark because Noah and his wife uh, and uh, his, his sons and their wives are all outside. And God inside, he says, Come thou! Notice what he says. 
Come thou and all thy house into the ark. So God was inviting him, come. There's a judgment coming. Come. The flood's coming. Come. Now is the time, the acceptable day for you to come. He says, come to me. You know, if Noah hadn't have come into the ark, he and his family, the eight souls that were there, he and his family would have been washed away like everyone else. We all know that the ark is a, represents as a foreshadowing and a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when they're in the ark, typified in Old Testament, they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the idea of it. And in judgment times and the floods and the waters of judgment, the waves and the billows of God coming upon the earth at the coming of the Lord, then what happens? Those who are in the ark that are in Christ are safe and they're saved. And God's invitation was, come into the ark. Do you know what it says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 19? It tells us to wit I love that wee bit to it. God was in Christ. In other words, God was in the ark. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Do you know what that tells you and me this morning, brothers and sisters? That according to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3, since you and I are trusting in the Savior, since we're washed by faith in the blood of Jesus, since you and I are born again of the Spirit, and since you and I are found in him, the Lord Jesus Christ, as Noah and his family walked into the ark, the type of Christ, where God was, God was in the ark. So you and I who are in our ark, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, Colossians 3 and 3 says, your life, brother, your life, sister, is hid with God, where? In Christ. The devil has no claim over you, brother, sister. The devil has no claim over you. And the next time he comes to try and cause you to fear, the next time he comes to try to tell you that he's going to kill you, you just need to say, well, you need to see my father because he has told me that my life is hidden with him. In Christ. Come thy, all thy house into the ark. Let me do another one or two quick points and we'll wrap this up and we'll go on again. There's so many more and so many different things I want to show you. I want to show you the word boldly. It means more than just uh, coming with assurance. It's more than that. Show you other words that it represents and it, it just strengthens your spirit. This is what I, as I said, I've been living on, dissecting it and praying it. Lord, this is where I am. I'm coming to your throne of grace. Lord, I'm obtaining your mercy. Lord, I'm finding grace. And a time, and I'm, I'm getting help for a time of need. Have you a time of need this morning? Have you a time of, of need? We all have need. 
in one way or another. But if you're a time of great need this morning, a need that really you find it so great you can't cope with, a time of need in your mind, a time of need in, in your home, a time of need in your circumstances, a time of need in your body, a time of need, well, you're at the right place when you're at the throne of grace. Because you'll obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Well, look at that also. It means a spiritual, or or, sorry, a seasonal time of need. In other words, when things get really hot and heavy, when things get really difficult, when life gets really hard, when you're feeling pulled right down and taken apart limb by limb, as it were, spiritually, you feel bereft. He says, it's then, come is the invitation. Come this morning. Come right now. Come to the throne of grace. He says, will you come to me? You know what we do? Yes, speaking about myself also, you know what we do? We nurse it. Lord, I'm hurting and I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to the throne of grace. I don't feel like going. I'm too tired, Lord. And the heavens are open all the time. And the majestic throne of grace He says, this is where your help is. Right here. Well, brothers and sisters, I say this again. It's not a condemnation, but an observation as a pastor. It it would surprise people. It doesn't surprise me anymore. But it used to in early pastoral days. The things that people go through that no one knows about. Nobody knows about. And you're there to help them and encourage them. And some people desperately, desperately want help. But when you give them the instruction to help, and you're trying to bring them, as it were, to the throne of grace, they realize then they want help, but they don't want to come. And it makes things hard because... You're trying to minister to put things right. And when you lay, as it were, the word of God on some others, they're offended at you. And they want to run away and leave you. But it would surprise you how many Christians in what we would call difficult times here in the West, our difficult times in the West, if you look at some of the places in the East... (laughs) We get it pretty handy at times. I know spiritual matters are still spiritual matters. But I surprise you how many Christians in the West and they run from the place like church. The meeting, I mean. We're the church. You know what I mean in that. They run from the place of gathering together. They run from the word of God. They run from the place of worship. They run. You know why? Because they think their help is everywhere else and they nurse it. Nurse it. And like David, he says, while I amused, in other words, when I chewed it over and thought about it, he says, the fire in my heart burned hot within me. It gets worse. The old hymn writer had it right. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. 
Let me say this one and I'll, I'll, wrap, I'll wrap it up this morning. In the Song of Solomon, we have Solomon and the Shulamite. And you, you see that as a song. One sings to the other and the other sings back again. And it represents Yahweh or Jehovah with Israel coming into the New Testament in Christ with you and I. And listen to what happens in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 10. It also says it's similar in verse 13. The idea is that Solomon comes along and finds this Shulamite dirty and sunburnt, her face is weather-beaten, and she says, I'm black but comely. In other words, my face is weather-beaten and I'm dirty. That's not a derogatory thing on African black people because it doesn't mean that she's black that way, okay? Because some people I heard use that. That's not what it means. It means this was a young woman out and her face was dirty, black and weather-beaten. It says that Solomon comes down in the Song of Solomon and he's this great majestic king who leaves, as it were, the palace, happens to go along the road one day and finds her right in this, uh, we would call it the shock. <laughs> I learned that when I came from Belfast, the shock. We have gutters back there. You have shocks. I went into the shock yesterday in my car and I forgot about it and I came out this morning. It's just all mud the whole outside my car. I thought I should have cleaned that for the Lord's Day. Anyhow, this young woman's there and her dress is tattered, torn. She's just, uh, she's put out to, to serve in other families' vineyards and she's dress keeping them and she's just laboring away. And it gives the picture of you and I in our sin. It gives a picture of you and I in a life that doesn't change. An inability to help ourselves with our circumstances, to lift ourselves out of the depravity we've found ourselves in, gives that idea, and suddenly up the road, she sees Solomon, the great king, coming down this road. And the idea is that she tells of him coming. This is my beloved uh, skipping upon the hills and leaping upon the mountains. Lo, my beloved comes. And he comes down, whether he's in horse or whether he's in chariot or whether he gets off that or whatever, we don't know. But in one sense, shape or form, it's as though he puts his hand down to her with an open hand and he, he reaches out to this little Shunammite girl who is dirty and weather beaten and he looks at her and he looks her in the eye and he says, rise up my love, my fair one. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Now, the idea is he's saying, you can't change this. You can't change this. You can't escape your sin, and you can't change your circumstance. He says, but I can't. I can't. I'm your great king. And I have stooped down to save you. Rise up, my love, my fair one. Here's the invitation. Come away. Come away from this world. Come away from the sin. Come away from unrighteousness. Come away. Or Christian, come away. And leave the world's things behind and go into his presence. You know what he says here? My fair one. <laughs> I wonder why he didn't say, come away. You're looking pretty scruffy. 
Come away, you're looking quite dirty. Come on. He didn't say on the way past, get out of my road. You look a mess. I want nothing to do with you. He says, rise up. Brother, this is what I'm saying in closing. Look at me, please. Sister, look at me, please. It's time to rise up. It's time to rise up. But it's time to rise up. It's time to realize that he says, my fair one, he sees you righteous in Christ. He sees the work that's already been done in Jesus. You're already in Christ, hidden. You can come to the throne of grace and he sees you perfect because of Christ. It's time to rise up in that. Say, Lord, I'm coming boldly with reverence and respect, but yet with confidence to your throne. Not because of me. I can come with full assurance and confidence because of Jesus. Come this morning. God bless his word to us. God bless his word. We're only getting our teeth into this. There's so much more we're going to look at in the Lord's will. And saying, bear with me. I believe that this has been laid on me to, to really get the idea and that by the time we're finished, you'll say, you know what? I can come to the throne of grace. 